0: book of first john and you guys are going to love this book you really are it takes a very very simple word picture just the whole idea of walking you and i walking and it relates it to our spiritual lives so i, I downloaded a couple of pictures this week of, of people walking you know and so and and we have all types of walking in this world right you got power walkers up there to your left you got older folks who are doing some power walking of their own that's going to be me on the right there when I'm about 55 or 60, you know, kind of shuffling along. And then you got that obvious young guy who doesn't know how to walk downstairs yet, right? And, uh, and, and so we got—and by the way, when you and I fall like that on stairs, you know, one of the things we do right away, it's almost universal to human nature is you try to get up right away and hope that nobody saw, right? But somebody was there with a camera, and so they got the dude. But, but the reality is, is that you and I all can relate to this idea of walking and stumbling and falling— and so, in our spiritual lives, what John is going to teach us is that it's exactly the same—that that, that we're on a walk, and sometimes we're not walking too well. Sometimes we're stumbling. Sometimes we're falling. And and he's going to help us get the most out of our walk, to, to learn how to walk more consistently and with some longevity to it. And all I can tell you is, I'm fired up where we're going to go over the next three months as a church. I really think it could be watershed for some, if not many, of us. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. You know, I hide behind it today. Because the last thing I'd want to do is talk over the next three months to these folks about my view of the walk or my view of you or my view of this life. And though I have thoughts on that level, God, what we're more interested in here at Scottsdale Bible is your view on it and a rightly understood exegesis of your word. And so, God, as we embark on this journey, this walk through the letter of 1 John, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand it rightly. And, Lord, more than anything else, help us to have the guts to apply this Monday through Saturday in our lives and uh, to take this into our week and, and really learn to walk with you more faithfully and consistently. We pray that you would do that among us. Give us wisdom as we kick this off today. In Christ's name, amen. So look up here on the screen. There's two different proof texts right out of 1 John that tell us, propel us into the deep end of his theme of walking. It's found in chapter uh, 1 verse 7 and then chapter 2 verse 6. Look up here on the screen. He says, walk in the light, as he, Jesus, is in the light, and then walk in the same way in which he walked. Again, that's the theme of this book, just a very simple theme of learning to walk with God in this world. And he's going to just simply equate the fact that you and I physically walk with the fact that now we spiritually walk. And he's going to flip-flop back and forth between those two. And one of the things John is going to do is he's going to give us some meat to the bones of walking by giving us certain topics that are going to help us learn how to walk in a better way. So, for instance, in the coming weeks we're going to look at things like how to walk honestly, how to walk righteously, how to walk courageously, how to walk wisely, how to walk truthfully, how to walk lovingly. You get the idea. Lots of different themes that John is going to present to us to help us get the most out of our walk. So it's a simple series in one sense, but a lot of profundity to get out of this thing if you can just latch on to that very, very simple word picture, the idea of walking. And what I want to do this morning is take a look at the first four verses of John. So if you brought a Bible, you're going to open up to First John, not the Gospel of John, but First John, toward the back of the New Testament, back of the whole Bible. And we're going to take a look at chapter 1, the first four verses. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have one in the pew rack in front of you. You can pull that out. Go to 1 John and and follow along with us. And as always, I'll put it up here on the screen. And uh, I just want to share with you just a few thoughts from these opening verses. And here's the first thought. And that is that what John makes clear is that every believer in Jesus Christ is now on a walk with God. Did you know that here this morning? That might be the most encouraging thing you need to hear. That every believer in Christ is now on a walk with God. So track this. Every person in this world who's made in God's image, and we all are, is on a journey, hopefully, toward God. You know, we had a lot of conversations last week with Easter folks. You know, a lot of folks don't come to church very often, and I talked with all different types. But one of the things that I notice is just about everybody in some way, because they're made in the image of God, is on a journey toward God. But God only labels us on the right path and on a walk with Him when you become a believer in His Son, Christ. And so if you're a believer in Christ here today, no matter how well you're doing or not well you're doing in your walk, you're still on a walk. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you're tired and lonely, even if you're muddled and confused, even if you're dejected and off track, in a sense it doesn't matter. If you have faith here in Christ today, if you've accepted Him as Lord and Savior, He labels you now on a walk with Him. And as we're going to see, this walk has the power to make all the difference in the future of your life as you walk with Him. And so look with me at how John begins this wonderful little letter, and I think you'll see what I mean. Look at the first four verses of chapter 1, the opening sentences. He says, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, you see, this life was manifest, and we have seen it and testified it and proclaimed it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also." so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Now, I mentioned to you last week in in anticipation of the series that John is a poet. You just picked up on it right now this guy is really poetic in the way that he tries to present truth to us. But don't let his poetic prose think that he's also not, let you think that he's also not very clear in what he's trying to say to you and me. So check this out. In the entire original Greek New Testament, there are 5,437 different Greek words. So the New Testament was written in Greek. There are 5,437 words. Why aren't you writing that down? There are 5,430, you don't need to write that down, different Greek words, and yet John only uses 303 of them. Isn't that interesting? So out of all the different thousands of words that all the New Testament writers use, John in this letter to us only uses 303 different words, and that includes all the ands, ifs, buts, and ors. And so less than 10% of of all the words he could have used, he uses in this letter. So he might not be, so he is poetic, but he's also very clear in what he's trying to say. He's going to use very simple, everyday words, and not all that many of them, to communicate this truth to us. And so, with that understanding, look again what he is saying. Look again at verse 1. He begins by telling us that when it comes to this Jesus who was from the beginning, and is literally eternal life in his nature who was with the father but was made manifest to us on this earth in other words he's god in the flesh john is simply telling us that he and others spent time with this jesus when he was on this earth In the language that he's going to use in just a few verses he's going to say we walked with him and in the process they heard saw and touched him now, that's really important, folks. They heard, saw, and touched him. He says, we heard him. We heard him teach things that like nobody else ever taught. We heard him say to Lazarus, come out of the tomb. We heard him say to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. And so much more. John says, we heard him. And then he goes on to say that we've also seen this Jesus. Wouldn't that have been cool? We saw the waves still. We saw the paralytic rise from the bed. We saw him embrace little children. We saw him die. We saw him rise again. We saw him ascend into heaven. John says, as we walked with this Jesus, we saw lots of things with our own eyes. And then pointing to a third sense that you and I share, he says, most intimately, we we touched him. Man, that would have been so awesome. We felt the warmth of his hand when he handed us a log to put another log on the fire. Or when we were sitting next to him at the, the last supper there, and some of us were so close to Jesus, we could actually feel his heartbeat as we leaned against him. Uh, John is saying that, that he was a real person, a person that we could relate to, and so we did, and we touched him. And that's the whole point of this poetic beginning to John's letter, folks, to communicate to you and I that our walk with Jesus is in essence about a relationship. It's all about relationships. I mean, think about it. Hearing, seeing, and touching when it comes to other people are all relational terms. You and I don't use terms like that when it comes to people if we're not somehow talking about relationship. If you're talking about another person that you saw and that you heard and you touched and you're describing that to somebody else, you're talking about a relationship that you had with that person. And though you and I don't have the same luxury and privilege to hear, see, and touch Jesus in the same way that John and his friends did, and I mean on a physical level, don't miss that What John is saying is that you and I can nonetheless enter into the same personal, intimate, very real kind of relationship with God through Jesus that they did, that we can walk with him. And the reason that we know this is so, the linchpin of these opening sentences is verse 3. Look at verse three again. He says, and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. That is a really important word. That word fellowship is simply a synonym for the word we use today, relationship. When they're that word fellowship back then, koinonia, all they thought of is what we thought of today, this idea of relationship. And notice he's saying there that it's our fellowship. That's an interesting phrase. Because the writers that he was writing to in the first century most likely had not seen Jesus. Because he was writing a full generation after Jesus lived. And so the reality is when he says our fellowship, he's simply saying that anybody who is a believer and follower of Christ now has this relationship, this fellowship with Jesus that's going to take you the distance. You've got to walk with him now. And so don't miss, folks. What John is saying is that our walk with God is not in the end, it's all about relationship. Your walk is a walk of relationship, of fellowship with Jesus Christ. listen, folks, the Christian walk, in essence, is not simply a new lifestyle that you adopt, complete with a new set of values that you now live by, though it might be that. And it's not a bunch of doctrines that you now study and agree with, though it might be that. And it's not simply some change in your worldview that now guides you in how you make decisions and who to vote for and things like that, though it might inform that. No, at the heart, what John is saying to you and I is it's about a fellowship. It's about a relationship with God through His Son, Christ. I love how Gene Apple over in California, a pastor, says that he says, Becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian, means that you now relate to another person. (laughs) And I think that says it all. Folks, this is a relationship that you and I now have with God. It's a fellowship. That's what John wants us to see as he enters us into this idea of our walk. And one of the reasons that this is so important is that I just got to tell you, as the pastor of this church, and as a Christian now 30 years, and a pastor for over 20, there are so many folks that just don't get what we're talking about right now. And I'm talking about well-meaning, good-hearted followers of Jesus or Christians, that they just don't get what we're talking about. I mean, they still think that our walk, our Christianity, is more about a moral lifestyle they think it's all about just a new set of values that you now have in other words you used to not drink too much and you used to not swear too much and all that stuff but but no, no you i'm sorry now you don't do that i'm getting all messed up you know what i mean right <laughs> in other words christians have a new value system and so what happens is is that now that they have this new value system some of us think that that's what our walk is about my new value system or How about doctrine? Some of us think that our walk is mainly about doctrine. I'm going to learn a bunch of truths, and I'm going to intellectually understand these truths and categorize them in my head, and, and my walk is really about doctrine. Or, or, as I said earlier, some people's walk is about a change in worldview that helps them better navigate the socioeconomic and political headwaters of our secular culture. And it's obviously true that all of these things are a result of your walk. In other words, your walk should result in being more righteous and having a better value system, and your walk should result in much more knowledge and doctrine about God, and your walk should result in having a changed Christian worldview. Dave showed us that in our our story. Now listen closely. Those things are not the core. They're not. Those things are byproducts. They flow out of your walk that at its core is about faith and trust. It's a relationship that God is after. What John is saying is that at core, it's about your fellowship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with him. That's what he's really after. And so maybe this will help. Some of you have heard this stuff before, but this is really a good reminder today, and it might be a revelation for some of you, and that is that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's not about an it, it's about a him, H-I-M. That's what it's about. many many of you know the word religious simply means that which you do consistently that's the etymology of that word that's why some people say i play basketball religiously or i listen to music religiously that just simply means you do it a lot and so we know lots of people who are religious in certain activities but they don't have a relationship with god give me a head nod that we all understand that that's why when jesus came he wasn't after religion he was after relationship Read the Gospels. He walked all around Palestine relating to people, loving them, speaking truth to them, showing grace to them, and in so doing, drawing them in. He kind of had a hug em slug them approach, right? He'd hug people and draw them in, and then he'd whack them with the truth. That's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus related to people and then brought them into relationship with God the Father. That's what he was after. And so why is it today with that understanding that Christians tend to describe and define their Christianity as an it. Have you ever noticed that? I still hear it all the time as a pastor. Somebody will say, well, you know, pastor, I, I grew up in it and then I fell away from it. And, uh, you know, now I'm starting to come back to it and I just love it, you know, and, and like, I'm going, what's it? What's it? I mean, I mean, honestly, men, men, especially men, think about it. Can you imagine if you described your wife as an it? How would that go in your marriage? You know, boy, it really cooked me a good meal last night and, (laughs) You know, I'm going on real I'm going on vacation with it and we're you, know, you wouldn't do that. You'd call her a her. So why is it that when we have the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, why is it when Jesus came to us as an incarnate human being, we describe it as an it? Why is that? I I think sometimes we forget the relational aspect of our faith. It's not an it. It's a him. And we relate to him, not it. Listen, folks, life, at the end of the day, is about relationships. And what John first tells us here is that so is your walk with God. At core, it's a relational thing. And many of you know who Gene Hackman is, the famous actor. A while back, I was watching Bravo Network's The Actors Studio. And at one point, James Lipton, you know, kind of that snooty interviewer on The Actors Studio, uh, asked him what the highest and lowest parts of his life have been. And I kind of perked up when he asked that question, and citing winning an Oscar for the best actor in The French Connection, which was one of his best movies, uh, as the highest point in his career, uh, then Hackman went on to say that it was the loss of connection with his father that was the lowest point of his life. Listen to what he says. Look up here on the screen. This is so revealing. He says, I was just 13, but that Saturday morning is still so vivid I was playing down the street from our house when I saw my father drive by and gave me a light wave of his hand. Somehow I knew that that gesture meant he was going away forever. And indeed he did. He left his life at that time never to return. Folks, Gene Hackman's an old man. He's getting old just like a lot of us. And yet still so vivid in his mind was that day when he was 13 when his dad walked out of his life. But don't ever tell me life isn't about relationships. Out of all the things that he could describe as the lowest point of his life, the failure of his first marriage or losing an Oscar or whatever it might be for him, none of those compare to the loss of connection with his Father. Because we all know that life is about relationships. And the Bible says the same thing. There is nothing worse than you and I living our lives on this earth and not being able to walk with God our Father through His Son Jesus Christ. There could be no greater tragedy than that. And so the first thing John wants us to know is that when you think of a walk, think relationship, think fellowship, because it's that fellowship that he's after helping us learn how to get more out of. Now, uh, that's just an intro thought. Uh, here there's obviously much more as we kind of go deeper into 1 John. So here's the second thing we need to know about this walk as we prepare for what lies ahead, and that is that our walk is difficult and it's easy to get off track. Have you found that one yet? It's a difficult walk and easy to get off track. Such a simple word picture he's giving us here. And yet, as you and I are going to find, with simplicity comes difficulty. And and so though we're going to get this idea of a walk, it's going to be a really difficult path as we start to explore what's really involved. And and, and so how does John present this to us? I need to spend about the next five to seven minutes do something, doing something with you that, that usually bores the church to death. Isn't that exciting? And uh, so, what I want to do right now, and I need you guys to try to stay with me, is I want to explain to you the setting and the problem that John was writing to in the first century. And I got to tell you, I've been teaching the Bible now for 20 years, and every time I get to the point of explaining to people the setting and the problem that they're writing to, you guys just don't care. But you should. Because though it's history, as you're going to see here in a second, it's really relevant history. So give me a head nod that you're going to stay with me as best you can for the next five to seven minutes, all right? Good, cool. All right, so what is the setting or problem that John's writing to? By the way, do we all understand that almost every New Testament book, every one of them, was written to a problem? I said that last week it's hilarious to me i mean christians whined back then like they whine today and so all the apostles were hearing these christians whine about disunity and people sinning here and you know this problem here and and so they started writing new testament books all, all 13 letters of paul are written to problems and john's too and, and so here's what's going on in, in, in asia minor when john was writing this most likely at the end of the first century it, john was living in ephesus at that time he's writing to ephesus And uh, and Ephesus at that time was a very current and trendy metropolitan culture. It was very, very current and trendy. Think Las Vegas, think New Orleans, think something like that. Ephesus was just kind of on the cutting edge when it came to art. It had one of the seven wonders of the ancient Greco-Roman world, the Temple of Artemis. And it was just very, very cutting edge when it came to, to being trendy and metropolitan. But at the same time, and we usually know this goes together, it was also a very decadent city. So prostitution, drunkenness, political corruption, and the like were all alive and well in Ephesus, where John was writing to, back in the first century. And and, and so again, think kind of Las Vegas and New Orleans, these cities that pride themselves on being so metropolitan and cosmopolitan, but also have a lot of struggle with sin. And it was most likely because of this mixture of metropolitan, cosmopolitan, and the erosion of values that when it came to spirituality then, Ephesus was also uh, had a mixture of very strange hybrid belief systems that slowly but surely infiltrated the New Testament church. And the most common one of these belief systems was called Gnosticism. You're going to want to tune into that. Tune into that. It was called Gnosticism. What would become a full-blown problem in the 2nd century church at the end of the 1st century was just starting to infiltrate the church that John was writing to. And here's the quick primer on Gnosticism. I think you'll relate to this. It simply comes from the Greek word gnosis, which simply means knowledge. And so Gnostics were ones who had a special knowledge about God. But what was fascinating is that they had this knowledge about God, but they had no Bible. They had no truth source to point to. Gnosticism was simply a highly-tuned form of philosophy in which these people said, well, we know what God is really like. We got this knowledge about God, even though they had no truth source that they could point to. You and I got friends like that today. We got friends who think they're in the know about God, but when you say, how do you know that? They don't talk about the Bible. They, don't talk, they talk about Oprah or something like that. And they'll say, well, this is how I know about this. And you go, I'm not sure that that's quite as the knowledge that you need. But that's what Gnosticism was. It was a highly intellectual form of knowledge that made them pretty puffed up. And so as you can imagine, there was a lot of with Gnosticism. They weren't known for their love or compassion, just their intellectualism. And so what was this knowledge that they had about God? Two things that you need to know about the knowledge that these Gnostics had that John was writing to. First is that they taught that there was a huge chasm between material things and spiritual things. In other words, there was a huge chasm between matter, the physical world, and the spirit, the spiritual world. And they made a huge distinction between the two. And some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal? That sounds kind of innocent. Well, it really wasn't. Because, you see, the next step they did is that they said matter is now bad and irrelevant. In other words, materialism and material things don't really matter. That's just bad. That's just stuff you can see. Only, the only things that are good and that matter are the spiritual things. And in labeling matter bad and irrelevant... The next step they did, and this isn't as tricky, is they said, therefore, sin doesn't really matter because sin is just of the body and it's physical stuff. The only thing that matters are your flowery, highly intellectual thoughts about God. So before you know it, Gnosticism had basically said, sin doesn't count. Go ahead and sin all you want. It doesn't really matter because that's just of the body. What only counts is your spirit and the spiritual side of life. And so Gnosticism became religion without morality. It became spirituality without value. That wasn't Gnosticism did. Now hang on to that. And notice a second key thing that they believed, and that is that they believed likewise that there was no need then for an incarnate Savior. There was no need really for Jesus to be God in the flesh and to die on a cross for our sins. Why? Because sin doesn't really matter, right? I mean, sin is of the, the, spirit, of the matter world, it's, it's of the physical, it doesn't really matter, so there's no need for a Savior to die on a cross for our sins. So they downplayed who Jesus was and why he came. So add all this up, folks, you had this higher spiritual knowledge, void of any identifiable revelation from God, which taught a duality between spirit and matter, with one being good and one being bad, and then a total denial of Jesus as the eternal Son of God who came to deal with our sin problems. And this teaching wasn't just out there in Ephesus, it had also infiltrated the churches that John was writing to and was causing a lot of confusion and trouble. So now you're going to understand for the weeks ahead why John's going to write things to us about this, truth. He's going to talk to us about truth and why truth matters and why truth comes from the Word of God. Because he's writing to these Gnostics that had gotten all confused on where truth comes from. He's going to write to you and I about righteousness. The fact that righteousness matters. That what we do in the body does matter. And that things like obedience are high values for God's people. And then so cool, we're going to see this next week. He's going to write to us about the fact that we are sinners. And that sin is real, but that sin can be dealt with honestly. We're going to call it walk honestly. When it comes to our confession as a group of people. And how we confess our sins to God. You're starting to get the idea sin, righteousness, truth. And in the midst of all of this, don't miss, he's saying that it all relates to our walk. But it's a really difficult walk, especially in light of a secular culture that messes with our minds. And that we need to be careful how we walk because it's so easy to get off track if we don't have the right walking sticks, which we'll get to here in just a minute. And folks, as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know, I don't think you can make the case that Gnosticism as an intellectual worldview is alive today. But isn't it true that some things never change? And then we got a lot of folks today that kind of think a lot like Gnostics in our culture today. In other words, we got a lot of people out there, and even many in the church, that think they know about God even though it doesn't really collate with His Word, even though it doesn't really come from His Word. They got these thoughts about God and they think they're true. And then we got a lot of folks out there today that also tend to have a spirituality that is void of values. It's void of morality. A few years ago, I was listening to a talk by Bill Hybels, the famous pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. And uh, he was talking about a, while watching a music show award, I forget which one it was, and at the end of this, this hip-hop artist sang a very decadent song. And then right when he got done with this really decadent song, he gave thanks to Jesus Christ. The interviewer after the awards had picked up on that and, and had said to the singer, you know, there's kind of a contradiction between the song that you sung and, and, and the person that you gave thanks to. And the hip-hop artist said this, and I quote, he said, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't let that change my actions. <laughs> now think about that. I'm a Christian, but I don't let that change my asti- actions. That's Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism alive and well today. And the reality is, though, he said it very starkly, and you and I are kind of laughing at that and shocked at that, I-, I would submit to you that we got a lot of people who act and think like that, even within the church today. I mean, let's just be honest. In our highly secular and decadent culture today that wants spirituality without cost, we got business people who claim the name of Jesus, and it hasn't really changed their business ethics, right? we got politicians at all levels, city, state, and federal, and all that that, 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 that claim the name of Jesus, and then it hasn't really affected the level of corruption that they themselves contribute to. And even more to the point, we have tons of regular Christian churchgoers in this nation who claim to be tight with Jesus, and yet it hasn't really changed, he hasn't really changed, their attitude about the poor, about greed, about race. And folks, this is what John is writing to he's addressing the problems that arise within a culture that wants spirituality but is really confused about God and how the walk really works and so he wants to share with his audience and I think it's going to be really relevant to us how to get the most out of our walk how to keep walking with God in relationship with him staying on that straight and narrow that we tend to veer off of so easily because the walk is hard. In short, John is telling us that though we want to walk. It's difficult, and it's a hard walk. So walk in the light. Walk as Jesus walked. And he's going to show us how to do this. Now, we could end right now, nine minutes early. And uh, not that any of you are watching the clock. We could end about nine minutes early right now. But, but I want to do one thing as we wrap up here this morning, and that is that I want to just wet your whistle for what lies ahead when it comes to some of the meta themes, some of the overriding themes that John's going to give us when it comes to our walk. And I think you're gonna like this. And so you'll notice there that I've labeled our third point that we have some walking sticks that allow us to keep the journey focused and on track. It's really true that as you and I are walking along this spiritual path, John's going to give us some walking sticks that are going to allow us to keep the journey focused and to keep us on the right path. And so I brought some of my walking sticks here today. Isn't that cool? And uh, I had some guy in the first service say to me, why would you bring ski poles to church? I said, these aren't ski poles. You're obviously not a hiker. These are walking sticks. And, uh, and so I brought my, my walking poles. And, uh, and, and the first walking stick, you'll notice that John is going to help us with his truth. It is truth. This is the first stick he gives us. He, he couldn't be more clear about this. Look at First John 2, verse 21. He says, I write to you, not because you do not know, here it is, the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And so John is really interested in truth. And get this, John's truth is not a postmodern truth in our culture that says that truth lies within and all you have to do is dig deep enough within and that we each have our own truth. And once you discover your own truth, then you can mix it with that person's truth. And now you got two truths and try to get along with that. No, that's not John's idea of truth. John believes, get this, in what he's going to call or what he's going to imply as transcendent truth, truth that comes down from on high, truth that comes from God, and he's revealed word to us in the Bible. That's the kind of truth that John's going to be interested in, and this truth will have the power and the capacity to allow us to get the most out of our walk. And then, as I hinted to earlier, a second walking stick that John's going to give us is the walking stick of righteousness. As a walking stick of righteousness again look at first john 2 verse 29 he says if you know that he jesus is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness have been has been born of him interesting i like that little phrase practices righteousness again the gnostics weren't practicing righteousness because matter was didn't really matter matter was just kind of there and bad and and kind of benign only the spirit mattered but john's going to say no 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 guess what your body and what you do does matter and it needs to collate with what you say it needs to collate with what you think it needs to collate with your theology that truth and so righteousness is going to count and he's going to help you and i if we stay with him in this to be more righteous in our lives and to stay on the straight and narrow in our lives and and then a third meta theme that he's going to give us and this one pulls it all together and you guys are going to love this one is love is love Some of you have read 1 John before, and when you get to chapters 3 and 4, he just turns the corner and really fires us up about love. Look look at what he says in chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. He says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation. We'll define that when we get to it. Propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I know I've given you a lot here today to think about, but, but, sh- but just notice there how he marries love of God with love for each other. Did you guys pick up on that? I mean, he marries it so closely that he basically says, if you don't love God, then you're not really loving others. And if you don't love others, then you're not really loving God. You, you can't have one without the other. But love is going to be such an important theme to John when it comes to you and I getting the most out of our walk. And, and so add this all up, folks. you got truth, you got righteousness, you got love— three walking sticks that that God has given us, that John's going to talk to us about to get the most out of our walk. And, And mark my words, folks, these things have the power to keep us on track. They have the power to keep us fueled and focused in this relational endeavor that we're on with God. But vice versa is also true. If you shun these walking sticks, if you kind of just... Well, I was loud. If you kind of just throw them off to the side, then what John's also going to tell us is, you're not going to get very much out of your walk. The year was 1983. I'd been a Christian about a year. And I was a sophomore in college at a little college in Michigan. And uh, the head of the religion department, they didn't have a Christian studies program. they had a religion department, was a uh, Baptist minister who didn't like being a Baptist minister. He was too intellectual for that. So he got two PhDs and became the head of the religion department at Hillsdale College. But he really knew the Lord, and he loved the Lord, and, and I liked him. His name was Dr. Tom Burke. And uh, that year, there uh, we were very, very few Christians on campus at this small little uh, secular college. Now it tends to be more of a Christian college. Back then, it was not so. And at Hillsdale College that year, I only know of, of, of three other guys that were uh, believers, at least in my dorm or on the whole campus. It was a small campus. And uh, I'm going to call them D, D, and J. That, that was their first names, D, D, and J. And uh, we started this little fellowship group called Campus Crusade for Christ together on my campus with a with some other staff people from Campus Crusade that would come over from the U of M. And we were all very fired up in our faith, myself and again D and D and J. One day I was walking across campus and Dr. Burke, again the head of the religion department, stopped me. And uh, aren't, aren't academicians just so straightforward and so prideful at times, at least I thought he was, he said to me, he said, how you doing, Jamie? How you doing in your walk? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing great, Dr. Burke. And he said, well, he said you need to join my Bible study, because I'm telling you, a lot of you young kids go off in lots of different kinds of direction, and you're just an accident waiting to happen, so join my Bible study, and you just might turn out okay. And I remember thinking, well, who do you think you are, Mr. Ph.D., and all this other stuff? And, and I remember I didn't, I didn't say anything disrespectful, but I kind of walked away thinking, well, I'm not joining his Bible study. And, and I started thinking at that day, I thought, you know, he, he insinuated that myself and D and D and J... Just might someday fall away from our faith and now folks I'd come from a very secular background and I was so fired up about Jesus and I gotta tell you I thought to myself there is no way I'm ever falling away from Jesus and there's no way that my three friends who founded Campus Crusader that campus with me are ever falling away from Jesus and I walked on five years later I ate every one of my thoughts five years later The first guy, the first D, was involved in sexual sin to such a degree that it's still with him today, and he has completely abandoned his walk with God the last time I talked with him. I was utterly stunned. I never thought that would happen. Uh, The J among them, my other friend Jay, uh, got married right out of college to a girl that we all thought wasn't right for him. We knew that it would just not be the right move for him. The marriage lasted about six months. They got divorced, and he was so shattered that he walked away from God, walked away from the church, and though he's come back since then for a long, long time, he didn't want anything to do with his walk. The third guy had another, the third D, the, the other D had, had an interesting journey. He, he, he went back to his hometown in Cincinnati, and, and I called him a few years later after graduation, and, and I just could tell a distance in his voice. And I was in seminary studying for the ministry, and as I, and I started probing a little bit about his faith, I came to find out that he was so tied up in business, so tied up in his work, some of you can relate, that, that his faith had just sort of plateaued and become very placid. And when I pushed him about, you know, where are you going to church and how are you doing in your walk and all this, it was just not very much there anymore. And that was the last I heard of him. I, I never thought that that would happen to me in my life. As a young Christian, with these three guys by my side, I mean, we were like the four musketeers. I thought I never thought that they would go by the wayside. And yet within one year of graduating from college, Every one of them did. Now, since then, one has come back. But what's my point? My point is that now, 25 years later, I realize what a difficult walk it is. I realize how difficult it is. I, I was very idealistic when I first started my walk with God. I, I just assumed that, you know, he grabbed my life, and, and, and so he's never letting go. Remember that song we sung? You know, he's never let go, and so everything will be hunky-dory. I, I didn't realize what a difficult walk it really is and how though it's sobering there just might be some casualties along the way my goal is your pastor i've been here now two and a half years hopefully if you guys keep me i'll be here longer and my goal as your pastor is to help make sure that we have as few casualties in this church as possible amen and that as we look five years out my goal no i can't shepherd each one of you individually but i can shepherd you as your teacher and as your senior leader my goal is that as we all band together as the church, as we all focus on Jesus and even pour into our walk over the next few months, that five years out, we'll look back and say, only God. We'll look back and say, my gosh, he did never let go of me, and so I'm staying in the ring with him. I'm staying in this walk with him. Here's what I believe about every one of us, and this is the most hopeful thing I can end on today, and that is that I absolutely believe that if you desire to walk with God, that there is nothing that sin or this world can throw your way, that can separate you from his love for you and relationship with him. In other words, he never chooses not to be in relationship with you. It's always us that choose not to be in relationship with him. And so at the end of the day, there's hope for every one of us that truly desires to walk with him. And so here's my plea to you as we start this series. If your heart is in the right place, If your heart, even in the midst of all the mess that your life might be right now, if your heart is focused on Christ, stay there. And let's learn together how to get the most out of our walk. Because I know he's good. And I know he's faithful. And I know he never lets go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just your truth to us. I thank you for your righteousness. And I thank you for your love. Three themes that we're going to hear a lot over the next few weeks. And God, I thank you that you have come along and using such simple terms labeled our relationship with you a walk, a walk of fellowship. And and Lord, I, I know that the temptation for many of us is to try to add and delete a lot of things from that that does nothing but complicate our faith. And so God, I pray that if anything else, the simplicity of John's call would ring true for us today and that as we start this journey, this walk together, that we get back to thinking relationally. God, I thank you that you've done that for us. And God, my prayer is that for each one of us here, as we've established that the walk is difficult and that the journey is going to be long and hard, that God, you would also remind us that as we embrace the walking sticks that you've given us, that of truth and righteousness and love, and as we focus those things on Jesus and our walk with you, that God, you will never let go. And that as Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so, God, would you do something profound in our lives over the next few weeks? Some of us are really ready to take the next step. Some of us are really ready to put aside childish ways and start to live as more mature, functioning followers of Jesus. Help us to do that, we pray. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. It's all come wrapped up to us in Jesus, who is the truth. And we pray this in his name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.